y'all. It's Betsy with the Dickie Foundation, and you're listening to Dickie's Doing Good, the podcast where we tell good stories about good people doing good things in the community. I'm thrilled because my guest today is Tim Jones. He is a retired police officer, having spent more than 20 years in law enforcement in a variety of roles, including patrol officer, school resource officer, SWAT operator and sniper, patrol sergeant, and ultimately lieutenant. Tim founded the Granite State Police Career Counseling with Josh Stokel, who he also hosts the Police and the People podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today, Tim. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, wonderful. So for those folks who don't know quite as much about you, tell us about yourself, your law enforcement career, and how you came to be where you are now. All right. My, my story. So um, as we were saying before we start recording, I grew up in uh, northwest Florida, just north of Pensacola, right on the uh, Florida-Alabama line. So uh, it, it's, I noticed you have a southern accent. So the more that we talk, the more that mine's going to come back. I that. My wife laughs at me whenever I go home and visit my family. Within a day, I'm already back to my my, my southern drawl. So um, anyway, so I grew up there. When I was 19 years old, I said, you know what? I need to get out. Uh, I've had enough of this small town, and I joined the Navy. And uh, the Navy took me all over um, the country and even parts of the world. Uh, but I was one of those guys in the Navy. I was a diver. I was one of those knuckleheads that would jump out of a perfectly good boat. Right. Um, so uh, my adventures in the Navy took me to Hawaii. I was stationed in Pearl Harbor for a while. And Hawaii is where I met my wife. Um, she's a New Hampshire girl. She was getting her master's degree uh, at Chaminade University. And we met and uh, we fell in love and ultimately we got married. And I finished out my, my Navy time, my six years in the Navy in San Diego. And then um, one day, uh, my wife and I were in downtown San Diego walking around. And I knew that I was going to get out of the Navy. I wasn't quite sure which direction I was going to go. And I had an interest in law enforcement. But we were walking around, and a pursuit came by. This car came flying by, and there were two San Diego cruisers right behind it chasing it. And I said, that's what I want to do. And that made up my mind. And um, so we moved to New Hampshire, which is where my wife is from. And I went to uh, uh, New Hampshire Technical Institute, got my associate's degree. And in 1996, I was hired by the Litchfield Police Department. And that's a small, small community right along the Merrimack River, uh, just south of Manchester, New Hampshire. Isn't that where Orange is the New Black is set? I don't know. Oh, okay. We'll have to check. We'll have to sure. IMDb check that. But I think it's Litchfield Correctional Institute or something like oh, that. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, there's no correction institute in the Litchfield I'm talking about. Got it. Okay. I didn't think you were actually on the show, but just thought I'd ask. Yeah. It's a small town. So um, I went to the police academy in New Hampshire in 1996. Um, and I got certified as a police officer. I worked in the town of Litchfield for two years and was ultimately recruited by a neighboring, much larger town called Londonderry. And I, I went over there in 98, and I finished my, my career in Londonderry. Um, so while in Londonderry, I had great opportunities. It was a great place to work for. I was hired by a guy named Chief Joe Ryan, and uh, I still love that guy to this day. Um, so, uh, you know, of course, I was a patrol officer, spent my time working shift work. You name it, shift, I worked it. And... Um, about a couple of years in, I, I decided to try out being a school resource officer, and I did that at our high school. And our high school at the time had about, I think, 1,600 students in it. It was one of the busiest jobs I've ever had. It was just putting out fires all day. It was really not a lot of 
arresting people or anything like that. But um, it was just very, very busy. And then uh, after my year of school resource officer, I ended up getting promoted to detective. So I worked as a detective for about three and a half years. Uh, from there, I was promoted to the rank of sergeant. So I worked as a road sergeant for a while. Uh, then they put me back in detectives for a little while as a detective sergeant. Uh, and then I also got some experience working at an airport. So in Londonderry, New Hampshire, the Manchester Airport is in Londonderry. I know that's weird, right? Um, and that's, had, that's uh, the main airport Hampshire. for New Hampshire, correct? That's the main airport for New Hampshire? Yeah, it's pretty well, it's not the only one, but it's the only large one. Commercial, right. Yeah, exactly. So um, we had law enforcement operations there. We were in charge of that. So I had the opportunity to work there, too, as a sergeant, which was really nice because it was new. It was different. I got to work with Homeland Security, TSA, and uh, it was just a whole different experience. Uh, 2010, I was promoted to lieutenant. So I'm back on midnight, you know, because we, uh, we used the watch commander system and uh, ultimately made my way back up to day shift. And then in my last year, um, I was very fortunate enough to work in services, uh, which is handles uh, all training. We handle all the, um, civilian personnel at the agency, communications records, all that. And it was, again, it was just different and it was fun and I really liked it. And then 2016, I retired. Um, so in 2013, I started this company, Granite State Police Career Counseling, and it started with one curriculum, which was we would try to market our um, program to criminal justice students at colleges because what we were seeing, when people would come in test for police officer, we would get 150 candidates and maybe get 25 viable people out of that to actually go through background investigations and such. Now, when you now when you say viable, was it not passing the test? Was it not background? Yeah. Not right fit? What what are we talking about? The, they, they weren't passing the initial phases, which was the written test and the physical agility test. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and the interviews, the uh, the uh, the dreaded police oral board interviews. And so, um, it, being involved with that for so many years, I saw the mistakes that people were making. So, I, I created this curriculum to help college students not make those mistakes. However, most colleges just didn't want to, they didn't want to pay for it. They would love it if I came in and did it for free, but they didn't want to pay for it. But New England College, uh, which is a college I, I also teach at um, as an adjunct, they embraced it. They loved it. And we're still with them to this day. And their hiring rates have gone through the roof um, by using our program. But uh, why no other college will do it, I don't know. So. Anyway, um, so the, the company itself, that was our first curriculum. The second one was a leadership one that I developed. And from there, it's just really taken off. Uh, now we have, uh, I think, up to 20-something different classes that we offer. And we, we operate primarily in New England, but we will go outside of New England uh, for certain classes. And uh, we just hired our first uh, operations manager, so our, our first official employee, which is really nice. And Congratulations. Uh, we see great things. Yeah, great things on the horizon for the training company. So, uh, as far as me personally, um, uh, let's see, I've been married for 28 years. Congratulations so on that as well. Same gal that I met in Hawaii. Yep. <laughs> uh, we have two kids. They're both grown now. And um, we live here in, our, in a little town called New Boston, New Hampshire, a small little, little place. Um, we have a nice little pond. You can't see it here, but I got a beautiful view out of my office window, and my dog Drake is around here somewhere. 
that's pretty much our life. My, my wife is a uh, special ed teacher here at the local school. So. Well, she must be pretty fantastic if she convinced you to move from Hawaii and San Diego to New Hampshire. And, and Florida. And Florida, Florida yeah. yes. All the warm places <laughs> to the coldest place you could go. <laughs> that, that's pretty incredible. Yep. So, I mean, yep. you, you, you had a really impressive career uh, in, in law enforcement and with a whole host of different roles. Which one was your favorite? That's a great question. Um, they all definitely had their ups and downs, their perks. I can tell you my least favorite was probably a lieutenant because um, then you're just more admin. And not that it wasn't fun or anything. I didn't, I didn't hate my job. But looking at everything that I did, it was certainly the least exciting. And, you know, it's admin work. You know, you're just uh, kind of a bean counter at that, at that, at that <laughs> moment. You know, you got to make sure everybody's good to go on your shift and everything is, is running as it should. But, you know, I spent a lot of time at a desk. So I would say to answer your question, my, probably my favorite was patrol sergeant. Because um, I loved watching um, patrol officers grow. Um, and mature and, and become better at their jobs. And I loved being a part of that. You know, you're, the first line supervisors have the most influence when it comes to leadership on personnel. And, and I really took that seriously. And I really enjoyed watching uh, the growth and the, uh, the camaraderie that, that, um, that I got to be part of. It's, you know, being right there in the mix. Because once you get step out of patrol sergeant, you're no longer on the road anymore. So. Well, and it's funny because I do talk to a lot of police officers who've promoted over the years and done different roles. And they're like, man, I just really miss patrol. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they always come back with the craziest stories about, you know, whatever, whatever happened that day or that week. Yeah. But but they, they do they do miss patrol. <laughs> it's, it's a funny thing about that. Yeah, I think it's the camaraderie, you know, with the everyone working the shift. I was fortunate enough to work for one of the larger agencies respectively for new hampshire and we would have anywhere from four to five officers working on a shift and you know it was it was, it was just fun you know it kind of reminded me of my military days and you you form this bond over time so tell me more about your your, your military career because in the navy as a diver that that's that's exciting and, and a little scary <laughs> um yeah you know it was uh you know I, the dive school was one of the most challenging things I've ever gone through. And but one, because I wasn't really prepared. I didn't really know exactly what I was getting into. And I don't want to compare it to like Navy SEAL training or BUDS, um, but there are some similarities to it. They, you know, we have a pretty high attrition rate. Uh, we was, I think my class started with 30 something and we graduated with 12. Um, and that was over a 12 week period. And um, they really, really condition you to, to know how to deal with stress, to know how to deal with fear. There's even one phase where you swim around in a pool in scuba and people will just come down and just rip everything off of you, your mask, your, your air. They'll tie your, your uh, regulator in a knot. They'll take your fins off, everything. When they're finished, it looks like a yard sale scuba gear right on the bottom of the pool. And you have to maintain your composure that whole time and then put yourself back together without panicking. And that's the key is they're trying to filter out who's going to panic, who can, who can stay calm and figure out the problem and fix it and then get your air back. And then you see you know, there's steps involved. And um, so when you get out into the fleet, when you're actually a diver, you're, you kind of have this mindset that you can, you can deal with an issue and it doesn't really scare you. 
uh, as far as animal life <laughs> in, in the ocean, uh, the only thing that ever scared the crap out of me, I will say, was um, was a sea lion. And it was just because I didn't know what was there. <laughs> and uh, I looked up and it was looking at me, you know, just to see a face looking at me in the, in the ocean. <laughs> that, that scared me. <laughs> but other than that, I didn't have any real uh, major scares out there. Right. You're diving out there and you're like, this is so easy. Nobody's attacking me and ripping my fins off. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so what would you tell someone if one who wanted to follow in your footsteps, whether that was going into the Navy as a diver or whether that's going into law enforcement? Oh, uh, well, for divers, you have to be comfortable in the water. If you're not comfortable that's in the given. water, don't even do it. Uh, because that's where you, that's your work, your work environment. Your office is in the water. Uh, if you're very fortunate, you get stationed out in Hawaii or San Diego. The water's, well, San Diego, the water's a little cool. Uh, but if you get stationed out on the East Coast and you're diving in the winter, uh, just know that it can be it can be chilly, it can be cold. Um, so that's the main thing for that for for, for the diver thing. Uh, as far as police work, man, there's a lot. Um, the first and foremost is stay out of trouble. I don't know how many people I've seen they do well in, in the uh, physical agility, they do well in the written. They do well in the interviews and then they get the background and like, you know, you did what, you know, you stole what when you like a year ago, you were stealing um, whatever. I mean, this this happened recently with the New England College and this this kid was a rock star and and he was being looked at by a, a, a large agency here in New Hampshire and he got washed in the background because he decided to steal a package of meat. Um, yeah yeah instead of just buying it he decided to steal it and of course in new hampshire we do polygraphs you know so um you can't lie you know <laughs> you have to tell the truth so anyway he ended up getting washed and that's too bad so my my biggest piece of advice would be stay out of trouble for one and number two is stay in shape um you know you're gonna have to take a physical agility test but also it really helps in your career uh, to to deal with stress, to deal, you know, sometimes you do have to, you know, get into situations of combat with people, unfortunately, and, and, and it helps if you are the strongest, you know, and you can do what you got to do. Um, but it also helps you deal with shift work and lack of sleep and things of that nature. So definitely stay in shape, stay out of trouble. And, um, uh, and I would also say get a degree. Um, a lot of agencies do not require a college degree. However, uh, being in a, a position in Londonderry where I was looking at people coming through to be police officers, most of them did. Most of them did have degrees. So in order to be competitive, you really need to get a degree. Um, you can get a degree in whatever. It doesn't have to be specific. I recommend getting a degree in a justice studies or criminal justice because you get more exposure and background to criminal law and case law. So you have a better understanding coming into it. Um, but it's not necessary. You can be, I, I, one of my best friends that I went to the academy with was, a, was an accountant, you know, so, um, and he's a great police officer. So you don't have to have it, but that's my recommendation. That that's interesting. Going from accounting to police work, that that seems like there, yeah. there's a pretty big change there. <laughs> yes, 
Yes. As a matter of fact, he's retiring uh, next month. Well, congratulations, oh. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is wonderful. So, I mean, it, you've been you've been in police work for now for, for more than more than two decades and been retired for, for, for a little while now. I mean, it, policing has obviously changed in, in, in across the last several decades. What do you find to be the most misunderstood thing about uh, law enforcement at this point? Oh my goodness, uh, <laughs> where to begin? Uh, you know, uh, I, I guess I will start with people need to understand that police officers, they're human, you know, they make mistakes, they're people, they have their moments, they have their moods, you know, um, you may get pulled over by a police officer that's having a bad day, unfortunately, and, and that's too bad. Um, but, um, you know, just have a little bit of sympathy. You know, they're working shift work. They and also <laughs> in police work, most of the time, no one's really happy to see you. You know, people don't realize that about this profession. Um, even if you go into a crime victim, they're not happy because they're a victim, right? Something got stolen or they've been assaulted or whatever, and they may not take it out on you, but they're not actually. Hey, you're here, you know. Right. Um, it's not like firemen. You know, everyone's happy to see it when, <laughs> when the fire trucks roll up. But when the blue lights come, you know, it's a little different. When you get pulled over, they're not happy to see you. Never. <laughs> so, you know, that that can it takes a toll over time with police officers. So just understand that. And um, what was your original question? I'm sorry. Ben. Oh, just talking about kind of what, with everything that's changed. What do you think the most misunderstood thing is? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, misunderstood. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. You know, one of the things that I've seen recently in particular when it comes to use of force incidents with police is that the media and the public are so quick to judgment. It's, you know, within hours of an incident and there's already opinion and, and judgment on what happened before the investigators even get on scene. Mm -hmm. Right. So. You know, it's it's important that people be patient. And whenever these situations happen, that let's let things shake out. Let's let the investigators get there and, and figure out what happened before we start passing judgment on officers. You know, a great example of that was at Ferguson. You know, the Michael Brown incident. Um, within hours, the word was that he was trying to surrender. Hands up, don't shoot, right? That whole thing came out and we learned um, that that never happened. He never uttered those words. He never tried to give up. And it was a narrative that went around the world before the truth ever got its shoes on, you know, to, to quote Mark Twain. So uh, I think that's something that's pretty misunderstood um, with policing as well. So th th those are some of the main things I, I would kind of point out, in my opinion. Certainly. So when you think back on your career, are, are there a couple of moments or experiences that really touched your heart or maybe changed how you did things? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, a lot of things definitely tugged on my emotions. Um, you know, the first time I saw uh, a dead child was, was pretty traumatic. Uh, I had a young child at the time. My daughter was, I think she was maybe two. And I remember coming home and just, she was asleep, but I held her, you know? Um, you know, on a positive side, it was always so nice when I was able to bring forward some kind of justice for a victim. 
you know, whatever that was, um, you know, the, the, the CJ system is convoluted. It's not perfect, but sometimes, you know, you, you're able to get the bad guys and, and you're able to get property back. You know, I, I'll tell you one case. I was a detective and I went to a burglary and uh, we used to have a lot of burglaries in, in um, New Hampshire because of the opioid crisis. And this woman was just crying and crying and crying because they always take the jewelry because it's easy, right? Mm-hmm. You, can, you can put it in a little bag and get out of there and go to a cash for gold place and, and, and get cash for it and then go buy your drugs, right? And her husband had recently passed away from cancer and he had mustered the strength one day to go out and buy her some earrings gold earrings and those were taken oh. and that's what hurt her the most you know it's just it wasn't that some of her jewelry was gone it was those particular earrings you know and i was able to solve that case it was it was not easy it was just these guys coming out of massachusetts and uh, but i was able to solve it and I was able to get her earrings back. And she was my best friend. She called me her, her police officer. <laughs> she would check up on me. Yeah, so I would visit her occasionally. Um, so anyway, that was uh, that was definitely a, a victory. That that was um, great to see and, and, and tugged on me emotionally, if you will. I love that. I love that you were able to get those earrings back because I'm, I, I, I can only imagine how important those are to her. That That is a wonderful yeah. thing. And you bring yeah. up kind of an interesting point there, kind of talking about being that community police officer. And we know that, unfortunately, so many people expect police officers to be all things to all people. But yes. in, in talking about having those relationships with people in the community, you don't have to know everyone in the community. But when people say, oh, I know Officer Jones, he's a good guy, he wouldn't do that kind of thing. Talk to me a little bit kind of about community policing and how there, there's been there's been talk about it now. But, you know, it, it, we, I, it's a pendulum swings back and forth um, on that. But, but talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I was studying community policing when I was studying to become a police officer, you know, so it's, that topic has been around for a while. Um, you know, community policing is, you know, there's been textbooks written on it, but it's just basically officers connecting with the community in some fashion. You know, it's getting out of your car and in, engaging with people in some way. Um, remember the whole mountain bike thing, and I think the mountain bike uh, policing is, is a great tool but the idea behind it originally was you're out of a cruiser, you know, so that you can actually interact with people and talk to them, you know, so they get to know you and, and you're not just this uniform in a car that's driving by all the time. Right. So that was, um, a, a big primary focus of it. Um, but how do, how do we do it these days? Well, it's not always easy for agencies to do it. And I say that because their primary mission is to respond to calls for service, right? So uh, you get into these agencies that have a lot of calls for service, then the officers are unfortunately, that's what they're doing their whole shift. They're going to calls, they're taking reports, then they have to go back to the station and write that report and get it submitted and get it put through. Then there's also an expectation that you enforce motor vehicle laws, because if you don't, then people get the idea that it's, there's kind of lawlessness uh, with respect to how they drive. 
and then there's no accountability and then people get upset right people get upset and we get the calls hey there's, there's speeders on our road you know people are blowing through this stop sign all the time you know so there's this this, this huge balance that police officers have and I'll tell you one that's uh, an issue that's making it even worse nowadays, and that's the lack of people. Um, because of all of the negative feedback, for one, and probably because of COVID, uh, police departments are seeing a significant downturn in the number of people who want to be police officers. So they're they're going they're running short. Um, I was just talking to my buddy at at, at Londonderry, the the one that's retiring. And he said that they are so short that they're having to constantly force people to stay on overtime. And that's causing officers to leave. You know, they don't like that. Um, so it's tough to, to get out there to, and mingle with the community when you're just, you're strapped, you know? So I think that's something that a lot of communities are, are seeing now that they, that there's just a lack of police personnel. So they're unable to get out there and interact with the community. Um, if I can just say one thing, though, I used to, when I was a field training officer, I would tell my trainees this, which is never, ever, 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 ever drive by a kid's lemonade stand and not stop <laughs> and buy some lemonade, even if it's warm and it's disgusting. You still drink it and you talk with them. Never, ever, ever, ever ignore one of those. So. That's a good community, uh, community relations uh, tactic there. Absolutely, absolutely. So <laughs> speaking speaking of training, let's talk a little bit more about the Grand Estate Police Career Counseling and the work sure. that y'all are doing there. Because you, like you said, you, you saw this need and you've grown from just, hey, not, not to say just, but grown from that, hey, I think I wanna be a police officer, let's talk about that. You all are now doing training all across the Northeast. Correct, yes. Um, so, uh, it's an interesting uh, line of work. You know, there's definitely a lot of competition out there. There are other uh, police training companies, and we all sometimes seem to orbit around some of the same type of classes. Um, so we were we're trying to think, you know find ways to make ours better than others. You know, it's uh, it, it's just business. You know, competition. Um, but I love it. I love it that we are able to. And this goes back to our motto, which is enhancing your law enforcement career. And that's what we want to do. We want it to be anytime you go to our training, uh, we enhance your ability to do your job in some fashion. Okay. And one of the things that we do that sets us apart as well is we, we believe in after class support. So all of our instructors give out their uh, contact information and they tell everyone that you're not just a, a student here, you're also a client. And that's the way we look at it, which comes to the career counseling part of the title, is that we want to help people after their class. Um, for example, we have one of the best field training officer classes out there. Uh, we use a guy who, who comes from San Jose Police Department because all, most police departments use the San Jose model for field training. And he gets contacted all the time, you know, hey, I got this going on or I've got this trainee and they're doing this. You know, what is your recommendation or how would you handle this situation? So uh, I think that's one thing that sets us apart um, from, from other competitors and training companies. And um, as, as far as what we're doing, we're, we're, we're always on the lookout for needed material, you know. So uh, after the uh, George Floyd incident, 
there was a lot of demand for like de-escalation type training. And uh, we had a, uh, a retired, um, uh, I think he was a deputy chief. Yeah, deputy chief from Cambridge Police Department out of Massachusetts. And he had this curriculum that he says, I think this is what uh, we need. He calls it successful control, con uh, excuse me, successful conflict control. And it was been, the class has been very successful. Uh, uh, it's a one day class and, and people understand about some of their inherent um, issues that they may be um, carrying around with them and how your emotional state can have an effect on what you do as a police officer. And, and we illustrate some incidents that went bad for police officers and why that happened and how we can control it and how we can make things better. And so as far as the future, you know, we're always looking for talent <laughs> if you want out there, if you're listening and you have a curriculum and you want to come to the Northeast and um, contact us and we'll, we'll see if we can get you um, up here in training. Uh, and it's, we're and always it's... expanding our leadership curriculum. Um, I'm working with another guy right now for a uh, command level um, curriculum. We'll probably launch that in April. Uh, so that's um, a little bit about uh, the company. And uh, I, I, did, I don't know if I told you, you mentioned him earlier, but Joshua Stokel, he's, uh, he's my business partner. Uh, he came on in 2018. He's uh, retired police officer as well, New Hampshire police officer, but he's now the director of a police academy in Massachusetts. So um, we we live in this training world. It's kind of what we know and um, and we love it. Well, and it's really interesting because sometimes some of these trainings pop up because of really tragic incidents that happen. I know here in Dallas, after July 7th, 2016, we, we've seen actually a huge um, influence, particularly on mental health. Um, mental yeah. health, because so many of our first responders and police officers really were affected that night, uh, whether they were there, whether they knew someone who was injured or, or, or killed. And so, we, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting how, um, you know, training seems to be one of these constantly evolving things, and, and that's okay. And yeah, that, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, we, and we need to recognize that, again, police officers are human beings. They have emotions, and we need to make sure we're taking care of our police officers emotionally. And it's a lot of states are now starting to recognize PTSD for mm -hmm. police officers. Um, and it just recently happened in New Hampshire, as a matter of fact, and it was all on the efforts of this one officer. Uh, he's retired now, Rob Eccleston, who teaches for us. And he, he worked with legislators to, to ensure that the police officers can, can, can get a diagnosis of PTSD and get treatment um, and get that uh, paid for by their insurance providers and such. But he was involved with a critical incident. He was, uh, unfortunately, he was dragged you know, by a car mm. and, um, and he ended up having to shoot the guy that was driving. How he managed to do it, I don't know. But he did, and um, and, it, and, it, and it killed the, the guy, and he ended up leaving police work early due to PTSD, and uh, now he shares his story and teaches agencies how to deal with that and to make sure that their police officers are taken care of in these situations. Speaking of sharing stories, uh, you you host the Police and the People podcast. Uh, tell yeah. me about that and wh where that came from and and what uh, what it's all about. Well, I will tell you that we've been on a bit of a hiatus with that one because of my partner getting this job as a director. 
he is busy because he's also a father he's also a husband you know so and he also he's like me he teaches college courses on the side so uh we've had to kind of put it on the shelf for for a little while but the idea behind the podcast was to bridge the gap between communities and the police that serve those communities and we and the the thought was by sharing perspectives and answering questions you know for example we would get questions you know you know why do why do police officers park their car a certain way on a car stop you know and um, why do they ask certain questions why do they do certain things and we would answer those and it's just about you know we don't want it to be it's, it's not a secret it's just no one's ever asked right so that was part of it is, is sharing perspectives and because josh and i we both teach leadership and we both are students of leadership um that was another part of the podcast we would share leadership experiences and talk about different concepts in leadership so that uh would, they could help those that who are in leadership positions better do their jobs but that was those were the main focuses of the podcast uh, that's very cool. And I, I think it's such a good thing to, to share that behind there. It's like, yeah, I have no idea why you would park or, or you know, the questions and kind of what what you all are looking for as those are happening. And I, I think right. what, what a neat, neat way to kind of see behind the badge. Yeah. Yeah. Why do police officers stand so far back when I'm having to, you know, try to hand them my license and registration, but yet they're two feet behind me. You know? <laughs> Things like that, or why did they come up on the passenger side? You know, uh, why do they ask me these questions? So that, that was all part of it to answer that for the people. I like that. I like that. So, yeah. so you have helped a lot of people, particularly you know now with career counseling, helping so many folks. Who are three people who really helped you and made a difference for you? Oh, that's a great question. So three people. Um, I'll start with my dad. My dad. Um, so <laughs> I was one of those. Um, you know what? situations when my mom and dad were in high school. Um, so they had me when they were really young. Um, and the life was pretty tough for us. You know, I can remember uh, shopping for school clothes at Salvation Army, you know, and uh, but my dad was just a deter determined guy. And he went to work every day, you know, and when he got laid off, he found another job. He just he just kept plugging forward. And that was my my role model as a man. You know, that someone who took care of his family, who worked hard and um, did things the right way. And he taught me that. So first and foremost, my dad. Um, let's see. You know, I I had some great role models in the Navy. Um, there was one particular guy, uh, Chief Nicholson, and he was um, he was an old bull rider. He was a real gruff guy. You know, and he was from Arizona, and but his leadership was outstanding. He he was right there in the in the thick of it with us, and you know, and if 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 you got out of line, he had no problem with grabbing you and saying, "Hey, look, knucklehead, you know, um, do this the right way, etc." I just liked his leadership style, uh, and he was a good person, good human. Um, so I would say he had a pretty pretty good influence. And then in uh, as far as policing man i really had some great people that i worked with um probably i mentioned him earlier chief joe ryan you know he hired me in 1998 in londonderry pd and he inherited uh, this agency that was in turmoil 
and he built this empire. And then that's that's the best way I can I can describe it. Um, he got us a new police department. He got us the contract with the airport. Um, he got us uh, accredited. You know, so he just took us to great places and 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 showed everyone that you can do great things as long as you're willing to work for it. And um, I really like that about him. And um, so those are probably my main three. That, those are those are three pretty pretty inspirational people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you could step into my shoes, what question would you have asked yourself that I haven't asked? <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't know. Uh, what question would I ask me? I haven't asked. Jeez, I don't know. Maybe um, what's in the future? Sure. What's next for, for you? Yeah. What's next for me? So. Um, I mentioned that I teach um, college courses for uh, criminal justice students, and I love it. I really do. Um, there's headaches, you know. <laughs> Not every student <laughs> is, is cut out to be in that in that in that uh, particular discipline, and you know. So, but for the ones that just embrace it, and, and you know, this is the future of criminal justice, you know. And I'm talking police. I'm talking probation, parole, federal, state, all of that. Um, it's just nice to see, and it's really nice to be part of that. Um, so I probably will find myself getting more immersed in that. And um, once we kind of, with the company, we've got some some operational objectives we want to meet this year. Uh, and once we do that, I'm, I'm considering going um, after my PhD. So... Yeah, it's in the back of my head. I don't know. I'm 53 years old. That's a lot of work. <laughs> it is, but how impressive to even be considering it. But sometimes I'm a glutton. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. You know, it's funny. I, I, I'm so used to talking to people who have a Dickies near them. Um, I, I always have to ask people, favorite Dickies meat, favorite Dickies side. You, you, we do not actually have a Dickies in New Hampshire yet. We're in 45 states. Uh, he, you could be our newest franchisee. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's, that's what's next. He's going to be our newest owner. He doesn't even know it yet. Um, but, but so I've got to ask, favorite barbecue meat and favorite barbecue side. Oh, I mean, you know, I'm a southern boy, so um, my probably my favorite side is coleslaw. Okay, you know, I love me some coleslaw, um, and I don't like the sweet coleslaw. You know, if you, like you get a KFC or something. <laughs> you know, just, I like I like Mama's coleslaw. You know, um, uh, probably that's probably my favorite. As far as my favorite meat, uh, probably uh, brisket good brisket you know right. it just falls apart you know uh i got a, a pork butt going in the crock pot right now there you go uh, yeah so um good pork butter is, is also uh very tasty okay well so i can i can actually do the lightning round without even without even involving dickies but so we're gonna give you two choices you're gonna give me your favorite uh we'll, we'll kick it off with an easy one barbecue beans or jalapeno beans jalapeno beans Sweet or unsweet tea? Sweet tea. Uh, see, you're still Southern. You live in New Hampshire, but you're still Southern. I love Sweet that. Tea. I love that. I love that. All right. Ch chopped brisket or sliced brisket? Oh, uh, uh, probably chopped. I like that, yeah. All right. Sauce or no sauce? What do you mean by sauce? Like barbecue sauce? Yeah, barbecue sauce. Oh, Is there any other what? kind of sauce? Um, I'm probably going to go with no because anytime I do get barbecue, 
I, I may put a little bit on the side and dabble a few things, but right. for the most part, no. Okay, we're, we're the same. I'm with you on that one. Okay, brisket, <laughs> brisket or pulled pork? Pulled pull pork. All right, and last but not least, ribs or wings? Oh, ribs. Yeah, I mean, I, I like wings, but man, ribs are the best. Absolutely. Plus, I can give the bone to my dog. There you yeah. go. Absolutely. Makes everyone happy. I know we'll have to get you down to our store next time you're in Florida. Uh, go see Wendy Williams. She is actually a veteran as well uh, there at our Go Freeze store. Oh, nice. So, yes. Nice. Yeah. Well, so, thank you. Thank go you. Freeze, right? Yes. Go Freeze, Florida, right there near the border of Florida and Alabama. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my guest today has been Tim Jones. If you like our podcast and want to hear more of his great stories, make sure to check out the Police and the People podcast. Thanks so much for your time, Tim. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. It was great that we could share our stories with you. If you want more information about the Dickey Foundation, feel free to visit thedickeyfoundation.org. And if you want more information about some of our great owners and the great stories they're doing, please visit dickies.com. We look forward to seeing you next week where we'll continue sharing the good stories of good people doing good things in our community.